Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. This is a new Wednesday edition of Pod Save America. We'll be releasing three episodes a week as the campaign season begins in earnest with a rotating crew of hosts and friends of the pod. Today on the show, Nikki Haley finishes third, declares a two-person race, and refuses to debate anyone but Trump or Biden. Trump, fresh off his Iowa blowout, is back in court, and the reality of Trump being on track to win the nomination could finally set in for Biden's coalition. And Ron DeSantis defies the media by continuing to exist. Joining Tommy and me to break down what's next in this campaign from the Bulwark, host of the Next Level podcast, A Man Without a Party, it's Tim Miller. Hey, y'all. I've got some really bad news for you about this new three-day-a-week podcast. What? Uh, the Republican primary is already Dude, over. Dude, we're not <laughs> saying Don't that. You Shut dare. the fuck up. So, like, you're adding more content, but but we're not, you know, my former party's not giving you any new mat- any more material. We'll be the judge of that, Tim. Uh, so uh, let's let's get into that, all right? I'm not ready to face it. I'm an I'm an I'm a I'm a low information voter who doesn't yet accept that Donald <laughs> Trump is going to be the nominee. Let's do uh, it. We talked about the uh, Iowa results with uh, John and Dan earlier this week, but uh, we'd like to get your overall reaction. Yeah, I listened. Um, uh, I thought that you guys were pretty uh, pretty right. Uh, there were some of you that I, who had a somebody had a positive DeSantis take uh, that I was not. Uh, I didn't share. I it was Dan, someone. not Dan. Me. It, was, it was Dan, Dan. said in DeSantis's defense. Uh, <laughs> Dan, Dan was uh, uh, spinning for for old Tiny D. Um, look, I, I just want to look at Polk County. Um, in Polk County, Donald Trump had thirty eight percent of the vote. All right, uh, Ron DeSantis finished second with 27. Nikki Haley's below that. This is where Des Moines is, the this most is urban Moines part is. of the state. This is Moines. Yeah. Biggest city. So, yeah, Tommy's been there. You can have a nice Italian dinner at, at Luca. Okay, you can get yeah, an avocado toast oh there. Oh, my God. All right. like a, I've been to Iowa dick measuring contest. Yeah, no, there are millennials <laughs> that went to college that live in Des Moines. I mean, like, Des Moines, this is not, we're not out there in rural northwestern Iowa and Steve King country, you know? Like, this is not places where people are consuming Bannon's war room. Like, this is just metropolitan Iowa. Donald Trump wins there by 11 points. 11 points was previously the biggest win in Iowa caucus history. So if the whole fucking state of Iowa was Des Moines... Trump still would have won the biggest landslide in the history of the Iowa caucuses. So there's, it's not like there was a demographic group out there he did poorly with. It's not like that, that Iowa, that Iowa, you know, was not as non, it is, Iowa is non-representative, but, but even in the representative elements of Iowa, uh, he dominated. So sure, there are ways you could spin it and squint and say, well, uh, you know, he only got 51 or whatever when he was a quasi incumbent and, and was it quite as good as Gore versus Bradley in 99. Like I, uh, you could spin it all, all you want, but like Donald Trump won an overwhelming landslide in every demographic group. 
and like the Republican Party is is almost united. We have one good silver lining that I can get to, but the Republican Party is almost united behind a wannabe autocrat, and that's that's pretty fucking maddening and disturbing and sad for me. Tommy, do you have anything you've seen in the last uh, 48 hours as you've digested? Oh, just Yeah, it's all passing through me. Uh, the Polk County numbers jumped out of me, Tim, where Des Moines is. But, you know, that was repeated in Cedar Rapids, uh, which is Lynn County. Trump had 43% there. Davenport, another uh, city, Trump had 49%. Dallas County, one of the sort of fast-growing suburbs a little west of Des Moines. Yeah, he, he really... He just dominated everywhere. It, it, there is no spinning this result. The only spin I have, Tim, is, or at least piece of context, is yes, Trump won Polk County, but he won it with 6,600 votes. So we're still tiny, talking about a tiny group of people, like 110,000 people turned out in this High school election. basketball game level turnout. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, so there are two positives. Okay, so here are my two silver linings, um, you know, as I assess the carcass of the party that I used to work for. Um, uh, and it's this. And one is barely anybody showed up at all. Okay, not just a, so there were fifty six something like this thousand fewer voters in Iowa than in twenty sixteen. So like this whole notion that Trump brought is bringing in these new low info voters and you know people who just like listen to Joe Rogan and they were never Republicans before and now Trump's bringing them in like that. There is no evidence that that happened. The turnout was down. Um, across the board. So I think that could speak to a lack of excitement. It could speak to the fact that it was cold. So I guess we'll learn a little more in New Hampshire. Uh, but th there's not like an influx of of you know red hatted excited you know MAGA loyalists that showed up. So that's and that's it, and it's a caucus too. Oh, by the way, Ron DeSantis spent forty two hundred dollars per vote in Iowa. <laughs> okay, I'd like to talk to about Ron, DeS Ron DeSantis' uh, strategy in a second. But the other one other positive, really quick, the Nikki Haley voters both anecdotally and quantitatively seem to really hate Donald Trump, like really hate him and be open to voting for Joe Biden. I, like if you just talk to reporters on the ground who are, who are at, you know, talking to Haley voters at the caucus, if you look at the Ann Selzer numbers, if you look at the entrance poll numbers, uh, you know, like the people that were there for Haley do not like Donald Trump, are open to voting for Joe Biden. And I think that is also very encouraging. And I think that speaks to potentially a lag in the Biden number when you look at the national national election polls, that there are some of these people who are Haley voters who just haven't come to terms with reality yet, like love it. And maybe they like, you know, maybe once they do, that might tick Biden up a point or two. And so I, that, so those are my silver linings for you. Yeah, it was interesting in the Haley victory speech in Iowa, or her third place victory, how the crowd was, there was a kind of like anti-Trump energy, even in the crowd, like kind yeah. of like an amen chorus that I think was like, it made it it gave it more of a feel of a real campaign, like a real campaign with an enthusiasm that you hadn't seen before. I have one more. I have one more. I went looking. I went hunting. I went squinting. Uh, so Politico did this analysis. Trump made big gains with older voters. All right. You look at 20 turnouts down fine. But you look at the change from 2016 to 2024. Huge consolidation right across the board. Trump made big gains with older voters over 2016, roughly 30 points better among voters over 45 but he was flat with voters under 30, which may not be a sign so of you're weakness. You're putting Tommy in the older voters camp. I'm sorry. I just was trying to count. I was like, I was interested in your cutoff wow. line there. Wow. God. What a swerve. What a God, swerve. A hey, fucking, hey, hey, these are three millennials. On. Just three millennials having a great time. Unbelievable. Your hat doesn't make sorry. you younger, Tim. Okay, under 30. Thanks, Kerry. Um, <laughs> under 30 and over 45 for what we're talking about here. Yeah. Sorry. Which when gas you said older in my head, I was to get thinking that like hat. elderly. But so roughly the same. So from voters 45 to say 65, 
he improved by about 30 percent. Voters over 65, he also improved by about 30 percent. He did a little bit better with the older voters. But regardless, the younger voters, flat, 3 percent. So the, the, the number of young voters turning out for him did not improve, even though he's consolidated the rest of the party. I'm Boy. calling that. I'm, 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 hey, come on. I, come on. I still... I don't know about that. Uh, love it. I mean, a like are, are there aren't that many people under thirty in Iowa, right. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I was um, I got to spend uh, caucus night um, partially with the New York Young Republicans Club um, mm-hmm. in uh, in in New York City. And I got to tell you, the under 30s there were very excited about Mr. Trump and uh, uh, very uh, enjoying the defeat of the DeSimps and Nikki Haley. Uh, uh, And I just, I I don't know. I mean, sure. I guess like on the margins, like Donald Trump's not bringing in excited new young people. So I guess that's a positive. But I would say on the negative side is that the young people who are showing up now to Republican events, like they are opting in because they like Donald Trump with the exception of like a handful of super nerds, you know, who are still like reading God and man at Yale. And I love those super nerds. I love them. And I'm just, I'm happy. And I like, you know, and I can pick them out of a lineup as soon as I walk into a Republican event. But, but, but that's not, that's not what the party is. So, you know, I, that's not that encouraging for me, but I'm happy that it made you happy. Has the um <laughs> has the demographics of New York young Republicans shifted from a bunch of uh, anxious closeted gay libertarians? Has MAGA fully taken over? Is it over? Yes. Is yes. the era of the gay closeted yes. New the York demo- Republican done? Yeah, the demographic of the anxious closeted gay libertarians meeting up with the uh, kind of Wall Street guy, you yeah. know, uh, who is just excited about his carried interest tax cut. Uh, <laughs> you know that little that those kind of meetups that we used to have, you know, on the on the Upper East Side. Yeah, that has changed. Uh, a lot of a lot of Queens, a lot of Staten Island. Um, you know, uh, a lot of accents, uh, were in the room and, uh, and they had a very different attitude than the types of uh, parties I used to attend. Yeah. Sounds like cocaine is the one constant here. <laughs> hold, hold them I did all not together. see any cocaine <laughs> yeah, I bet you didn't. Uh, at, at the party, but I don't know that they would have invited me. I was, I was a clear interloper. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm real. I think there's a lot of people listening and only halfway through realized you were talking about people from Queens, not drag Queens, which is what <laughs> oh, I think. I think I got that wrong. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I think there's you know, just clear. Go yeah. off, Yonkers, Queens, Queens Island, North Jersey. It's different. Long Island, Island City, not Stonewall. I think yeah. it's sort of the right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Uh, DeSantis went to every county. Trump won every county except the commies in Johnson County. Does the nationalization of politics mean that the kind of campaigning that used to allow, as Tommy pointed out in his Iowa specials, would allow like social conservatives to make their mark to kind of use Iowa as a place to push back against an establishment candidate or a national figure, are those days over? Is that just not possible anymore? I mean, Tim, I thought your old uh, colleague, David Kajal, had a good line, which was, DeSantis had to go to all 99 counties to meet Iowa voters, but Iowans from all 99 counties would travel to events to see Trump. And I think that gets to the unique figure that he is in our politics because of his celebrity and the cult-like attachment from the base. So maybe this is a one-off. That said, I mean, I'd like to know what you think. If I was advising a 2028 candidate, let's say, uh, running in the 2028 primary, I would probably advise them to spend a whole lot of time on MSNBC and other progressive outlets. Uh, and Because what I've heard in the last two cycles is that the national narrative was far more important than anything these candidates were saying in like the town hall meeting in Waukee. Yeah. 
and I'm not, I'm, I start to wonder if it's ever true. You know, like Do- Donald Trump, I do think um, upended a lot of, you know, conventional wisdom that has was never really challenged about these sorts of things. Um, like, did Iowans ever really need to see somebody in their living room, or were they just looking some- for somebody to give them a thrill up their leg? And you know, Donald Trump did that, and other people could have done that Donald Trump's way had they tried. I, I guess we won't really know, but I, I don't. I-, I think that a lot of that, you know, sort of early state narrative, you know, kind of uh, nostalgia that we have for that kind of campaigning. I, I just, I don't know that it ever was really mattered that much. And I think that now, if you look ahead to 2028 in a presidential race, the way people are consuming news and information these days, like people know these candidates so well now, right? I mean, you know, you know, the types of uh, uh, supporters they have, you know, you know, the social media influencers that support them, you know, you get to uh, listen to your favorite fucking podcasts about it, right? Like the way that people consume information about the presidential primary is just not, is very unlike the way that they consume information about other political campaigns. And so I just, I I think that like, if you look at the DeSantis campaign, they ran a campaign that, that like might have worked if it was for a a state senate race or maybe even a senate race in a state like Florida where you don't you know have an expectation of knowing a lot about the various candidates like that was not going to be the case when you're running against Donald Trump who these people like have shrines to him in their home right like they've been following him for for a decade now and to think that like if you were going to put one a door hanger on somebody's door, or you're going to run a 30 second ad about how great of a job you did keeping the beaches open during COVID. (laughs) And then people are going to be like, okay, I'm for you now. I just think it totally misunderstands how people consume like information about a presidential race now, particularly one where you have somebody like Trump in it. So I like to me, I, I, I don't, yeah, I, I think that all of that was just a waste. And like Ron DeSantis was just totally, um, you know, Ron DeSantis' donors, like just lit uh, seven figures on fire. I know what it was 35 million on TV, but then all of the ground game, like all of that was for nothing. Yeah, but his big consultant, Jeff Rowe, got paid. Got and that's paid. what's important. The, uh, yeah, my God, the, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it's hard to tell, right? It's an overdetermined situation because you have Donald Trump is unique figure. Ron DeSantis was, I think, shockingly inept. I remember we, we, you know, when, when Dan on the pod, one of the very early pods when Ron DeSantis was just announcing and, you know, all, all these conservatives were lining up behind DeSantis as like the one true hope. And Dan was like, nobody's heard him speak. No, no one ever has heard him give a speech. Let's see what happens and if he gives a speech. And he's like, oh, it's it's fucking terrible. Yeah, I don't know if retail politics is dead, but I do think that uh, when your candidate can't uh, communicate with voters or give a speech, you should rethink whether that person should go to 99 counties and do a lot of town halls. I guess, but I mean, look at look at the Democratic side in 2020. I mean, Joe Biden did win because of retail politics. No, he won like, solely because of electability. Yeah, and electability and narrative. Like all yeah. of those voters, and you guys know this better than me, but all those voters, they jumped from, uh, it's the same people. They're like they're for Warren, and then they're for Pete, and then they're for, uh, like obviously each candidate had their super fans, but if you just look at the numbers, like uh, people are just very educated about a primary race now, and they're making decisions like in a very nuanced way that 30-second TV TV ads and door knocks are just not, it's not the same. But Biden doesn't win Iowa, right? It's what makes possible for someone like Pete 
or Bernie to win Iowa. It's what makes it possible for yeah. someone like Obama to win Iowa. I think like when you have someone like Trump whose support is wide and deep, it doesn't make sense. If you reverse it, right? If you have someone who has, if you have someone like DeSantis as the presumed national figure, but whose support is shallow because people haven't really gotten to know him, and then you have an insurgent candidate with political talent in a place like Iowa. I, I just, I just don't know. I don't know whether to learn the lesson or make sure we don't overlearn the lesson. I don't know. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No. You got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. All right, let's talk about New Hampshire Tomorrow night's ABC GOP debate was canceled Mm. due to a lack of interest. (laughs) (laughs) On Tuesday, Nikki Haley said she wouldn't debate unless Donald Trump or Joe Biden would join her. Trump continues uh, to demur. DeSantis uh, is willing to participate. He said Haley was too afraid to debate him. DeSantis then uh, doubled down on this at a CNN town hall where he said this. I'm the only candidate that actually agreed to come to New Hampshire to debate. And what does that say? We have four candidates for president now, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and me. I'm the only one who's not running a basement campaign at this point. Tommy, what do you, what do you, what do you think of this argument? I think he sounds like a whiny loser, first and foremost. Mm. I, I'm a little bit torn on 
the skipping the debate question. I, I watched the last debate on scene, unfortunately, the the Haley versus DeSantis one on one. I really? think that yeah. I think the takeaway the one. from anyone who watched it was I disliked both of them by the end. It was constant accusations of lying. Haley was dropping her stupid like Ron lies website at all the time. Like my my um my bellwether on a lot of these things is when Hannah walks through the room to the kitchen to get something before walking back into the bedroom so she doesn't have to listen to this crap that I consume all day every day, uh, if she comments on it or not. And she was just like, this is horrible. So I, I don't know that that debate being repeated would have benefited anyone. Don't know if that, Hannah's a target New Hampshire primary voter. Yeah, well, listen, you know, we'll see. We might move. So that said, the debate was going to be broadcast on WMUR, which is far and away the biggest TV station in the state. It was an opportunity to reach a lot of people and do it in a high profile way uh, at this moment when people are making up their minds. So if you went in and had a great debate, it would be a, a an excellent strategic choice. But I, like, would I want to debate a guy at 4% uh, when I'm actually trying to beat Donald Trump? No. Tim, what do you think? I mean, I, I just find it, DeSantis is just always casting about for some kind of line, some kind of hit, but it never fits into any kind of broader message he's trying to deliver. Now, Nikki Haley's a basement candidate. Like, who is that for? Who finds that plausible? Especially because she says no to this debate and what does she get? Instead, she gets a CNN town hall, which, you know, I don't... Who who in New Hampshire is going to be turning on a CNN town hall to make this decision? I don't know, but uh, she's not she's not the basement people. Yeah, I know I'm brought on uh, to give my expertise with Republicans, but I got to tell you, I don't understand why Ron DeSantis is running, and I don't know that Ron does. Yeah, so I no, just I can't not. answer that. Like I, I just he has he's not given a rationale, and I, I don't know what the well, he didn't give a rationale before Iowa, and I and he certainly doesn't have one now. So it's un, kind of unclear what his motivations are. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, not debating. Like I'm of two minds of it. On the one hand, it's like okay, I'm I'm okay with you not debating Ron DeSantis and giving him oxygen when you're trying to make this a mono woman no thing in new hampshire that's fine strategically but like do you have to do something like what is what what is she doing instead and if the answer is going back to kind of the last question well oh i'm going to do some town halls in peterborough and i'm just going to say the same talking points i've been saying since october well it's like well you lost by 32 in the first contest okay so you have to do something to change it up and while her speech i agree love it there's some energy in the room Again, she didn't make any new news. She didn't. She didn't break any new ground. Um, you know, uh, your old boss Tommy Pluff was like ranting um, at, uh, the other night on um, MSNBC about how like she leaves Iowa and then doesn't land in New Hampshire and do an event that yeah, morning weird. to yeah. like create news. She doesn't do any. So it's like, like where is the fucking urgency? Or like you don't have to debate Ron DeSantis if you don't want. But like, give, like, give me some. Ur- this is it. Like it's all over in six days, right? So uh, give me something, punch Trump in the mouth, either rhetorically or physically, or ha- I don't, you know, I don't know what exactly it is, but but she has to do something to change things up because she's not winning New Hampshire right now. Um, I think that Christie obviously gives her a boost, but, but uh, you know, Trump is still in the high 40s and, and she's got to win. Haley did an event yesterday. Dave Weigel, a great reporter at 74, tweeted this. It lasted 23 minutes and she did no Q&A. Just like a bizarre way to spend your finals. Obama's schedule between Iowa and New Hampshire was a frenetic pace. It was a bus tour. It was tons of events in the North Country or in Southern New Hampshire and the Boston media markets and in the coast. So how'd he do in New Hampshire? I don't. You know, I I don't remember. It was it was it was closer than Iowa. It was closer than it was closer than what we've been seeing this time. He should have skipped the debate. That's the answer here. He should have skipped the debate. 
Or maybe Nikki Haley should cry. I, and, and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of being snarky, uh, but I'm kind of serious. I, I Crying would maybe, well, probably, I, it's probably I, a different I, electorate. I might cry. Different I, electorate. I don't know. Listen, I cry, I cry every night and I'd like to see politicians cry more. I'd like um, to see Chris Sununu cry too. Uh, well, Chris Sununu, Chris Sununu, who is the governor of New Hampshire and endorsed Nikki Haley, was doing like a round of interviews saying like Nikki Haley's here. She's answering questions. She's showing up. Trump's still just dropping in on his plane, which a is deja vu of the argument that didn't work in Iowa. Right. But B is a shitty thing to to introduce a candidate uh, who then leaves without taking any fucking questions. Yeah, stupid. Doesn't make any sense. So a poll by American Research Group showed that Haley and Trump are both at 40, um, which was a rise from 37 for Trump and 33 for Haley as the race consolidated the Christie bump, as you said. Though a new poll out this morning from Suffolk and the Boston Globe had Trump at 50 and Haley at 36. Ron's still cruising in the uh, the singy digis. Uh, <laughs> uh, Haley has spent $26 million on ads, Haley plus her packs, and to Trump's $12 million, she's doing this electability argument. Uh, Tim, it does seem like she's sharpened her rhetoric a bit. She's been, she's, I, I, I'm not... I'm not a vote. I'm not a Nikki Haley vote. I'm just saying, like, let's let's. I, she ha, She went. She made the age argument. He loves she Nikki called Haley. them both nearly eighty. Trump does not like to be referred to as being nearly eighty. Tommy hates it too. Yeah, love it. Tim. I, I, I had. She sharpened. I guess. I don't. Like from what? I, it's like she had a dull spoon and like you know, <laughs> it's a spork. It's <laughs> approaching spork <laughs> territory. <laughs> I just she spent the the ad thing is what drives me crazy. She spent twenty six million on ads and like not no to to provide no meaningful contrast to Donald Trump. Like look, I'm not expect I'm not asking Nikki Haley to go full bulwark Trump derangement syndrome and start crying about the state of the democracy. Even though that's I mean I would love that. Um, I might go up and volunteer for her if she did that. I don't think that would help her in the end. You could look at Chris Christie's number, but you do have to offer a contrast with Donald Trump that is meaningful that tries to get people to change, or you have to change the electorate. Like or you have to bring new people into the electorate. I, like my colleague Sarah Longless Focus Group. Like we're, I was just watching focus groups of these people in New Hampshire, which are the undeclareds, and they don't even like her and it's like she's got to either motivate those people to turn out to vote undeclared types that would have been for Christie, and change the makeup of the electorate or she's got to win over some of the soft trump voters some of the desantis voters by offering a legitimate contrast with them she's doing neither of those things well, she's doing she, nothing she's betting on the demographic change right I mean, independent voters account for more than three hundred and forty-three thousand of all registered voters in new hampshire there's about two hundred and sixty-eight thousand registered republican voters in the state so she what is, is her message for them the undeclared voters well, see, I'm, not, I mean, she, I'm not done she's yeah. making I mean, she's making she's doing she's making an electability argument she's saying she's she does this thing where chaos follows trump around which is obviously embarrassing uh but she you know she made this argument in her speech she's making it in her ads that uh these are both candidates of the past they're both focused on grievance which is her way of saying trump is focused on grievance because whatever but uh and then she makes this electability argument which is a strong argument right that like between trump and trump and biden is a toss-up but i win in a landslide right so that is an argument what, here's a, yeah sure it's an argument here's why it's not a strong argument there are two groups of people that are voting in new hampshire one is the undeclared voters like we're talking about and the moderates my people okay mm -hmm. They don't, most of them aren't even sure they want her over Biden. <laughs> so, so yeah. like electability isn't that strong of an argument for them. Most of them are kind of toss up voters in a Haley Biden thing. All right. And then the other group of people, the Republicans, as we saw from the entrance polls in Iowa, they think Trump won. Okay. They think Trump is still the president. So you can't make an electability argument against somebody that 
you know, has deluded the entire voting base into thinking that he is an invincible winner that was robbed by the deep state. So, uh, you know, again, if we had a time machine, if we went back to the end of the midterms in, in, in 2022, and if her and DeSantis had actually run a campaign and spent those $50 million they've spent on TV, $100 million, and, and run on TV reminding people that Donald Trump's a loser and that he lost in 2020 and that he cost them the 2022 midterms and that they are both winners because Ron won in Florida and because whatever, she polls show she, that people like her, then, okay, then yeah, sure. I think that would have been a good argument in, in December of 2022 but it's January of 2024. The uh, Suffolk poll only has her up six on Trump among independents, so not great. Oof. The uh, Trump, um, uh, well aware of the of the divide between the independents and Republicans, uh, had this to say about Nikki Haley. His, the, the era of gracious Trump didn't even last 12 hours. Brief, yeah. hmm. Shocking. I thought I thought that when he, he brought Brickman on stage, I knew it was maybe I a love sign Brick Man. gracious, gracious um, Trump. But let's see. Let's see. Let's see what he what he said about Haley now that he's seen her speech in Iowa. Uh, as you know, Nikki Haley in particular <laughs> is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. You know that the Le that's what's happening. You have a group of people coming in that are not Republicans and uh, it's artificially boosting her numbers here, although we're still leading her by a lot. You know, uh, as you know, I watched your speech last night. I thought it was inappropriate, but because it's bad for unity, it's bad for the party, what she said. But you'd almost think she won. She came in third, and she lost to not a particularly great candidate, obviously, as you've seen. She lost to somebody that uh, beat her by about two and a half points, Rhonda Sanctimonious. So, uh, Tim, too subtle, or do you think voters are going to understand what he's trying to say? <laughs> I fucking hate him so much, guys. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you know that. I just, I really hate him. Um, and so I have to say that before I say the next thing, which is like, he had a point. Every once in a while, the fucking asshole has a point. And, uh, you know, he's he's right. The, on both points, Ron DeSantis was a terrible candidate, and she still lost to him. She needed to beat him to get the momentum going into New Hampshire. And... It is also true that in order to beat Trump in New Hampshire, she's going to need undeclared voters and Democrats to cross over and vote for her. And this is what gets us to the broader point about why this is also frustrating. It's like undeclared voters and Democrats aren't a path to winning the Republican nomination, right? So even if that does happen, even if Nikki Haley does win because there's a surge of undeclareds in New Hampshire, and it's like, then what? Great. Congrats. South Carolina's going to be tough. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the then what. All right. So you're Nikki Haley. What is the story you're telling yourself about how winning New Hampshire creates a path to winning the nomination? Because there's a story. They are telling that story at the very least to each other. Yes. Okay. Here's the story. I can tell you. It goes, it goes something like this. It goes, <laughs> I win New Hampshire and I have a glorious victory and I get to bask in the lights of all the cameras and people around the world will get to see me and I will feel very great about myself. And then immediately when I give that speech, the, Donald Trump's armor of invisibility and winningness will be punctured. Mm -hmm. People will take another look at this race and people will start to say, well, maybe Donald Trump is not invincible after all. And the whole dynamic will change. And then there'll be a month to South Carolina and Donald Trump will be going to court and people will say, well, Man, did you know that Donald Trump's been indicted four times and has 91 <laughs> felony counts and he's not a winner anymore? Maybe I should reconsider Nikki Haley. 
and then we'll get to South Carolina and da, 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 da. like that's what they're telling themselves, uh, which I mean, which is a preposterous fantasy, or maybe they're hoping for, you know, the hamburger from heaven. Um, that mm-hmm. uh, is Donald Trump. That is the end of that's Donald. Tim's code for death. For yeah, the listeners um, who don't know, <laughs> or maybe, oh, the other thing is maybe it's like, well. Uh, if I win, that allows me to stay in long enough to accrue some delegates. And you know, if Donald Trump goes to jail and Jack Smith saves us, then this summer in Milwaukee, I'll have some delegates to horse trade with. I like, uh, but I, I think all of that is is very secondary. I think the main thing is just this this kind of fanciful theory of the case that if Donald Trump is defeated, then that will somehow change. If it becomes a two person race. And she sticks around and the some sort of larger dynamic shift happens around electability plus conviction that she'll be the person standing there. The, the, remember the, you know, the Seinfeld that, you know, being after a breakup, like first you go, you go from being there for you to just being there. It's like that's a, it's, a, it's like the Seinfeld breakup strategy. Like you just got to be there when the breakup happens. Um, mm-hmm. So, Tommy, uh, the DeSantis team is now saying they're hoping for a Haley loss in New Hampshire so that he has a narrow chance of staying in the race through South Carolina. I guess that involves Haley dropping out. Uh, if she does and she gets out, does it matter for Ron? No. Uh, that, like, he secretly wants her to win New Hampshire so he can get out and end his baton death march of humiliation across South Carolina for a month. There's not, I like, Tim, you've probably experienced this in a visceral way uh with jeb or other candidates i mean there is nothing worse than continuing a campaign once you know it is over it's horrible and which is why it's uh, it's uh kind of a question about why he's still doing it uh you know i don't know uh, i think there's some inertia in this um having people around him but it's brutal uh it's a real long slog and the, and the time between new hampshire and south carolina is long like month. a month a yeah. month is forever in a in a in a death march campaign like because every hour is painful you know um i had an old boss i used to work for that was like he signed up for boot camp and he was like i didn't didn't realize how long boot camp could be until i i was i I had to experience it one second at a time and that's kind (laughs) of like how it is on a losing campaign it's just every second is painful so i i don't know exactly know why they would want to stay around for a month uh jvl at the polar he, t- he talked to the, about uh he wrote about it how they've su- ex- achieved catastrophic success <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is like they're doing so they're doing well enough that they have to stay in um and so uh you know i don't i don't know if he's necessarily rooting for nikki but um i, I you know I, he has no he has no rationale. I mean, you know, all of the great and good supporters of him on the internet, Clay Travis, Tommy Laren, you know, all your favorites, um, they're all telling him to get out. Even even his even his troll posters have, have abandoned him. And his his donors will too soon. His staff will tell him, preserve your dignity, preserve your political future, endorse Trump as soon as possible. The pressure is going to be just enormous. Yeah, there was the uh, some donor, after after DeSantis said that his ticket to, to, to New Hampshire had been punched, some donor told a reporter that, yeah, it's uh, it's in the back of the plane and it is definitely next to the bathroom at best. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, 
repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. All right, let's talk about what this could mean uh, for Biden, for a lot of Americans, not not our dear listeners, uh, but for a lot of other people, it hasn't actually sunk in that a Trump-Biden rematch is on the horizon. An AP poll from mid-December found that just 20% of respondents were paying attention to politics. And according to recent reporting, internal polling from the Biden camp showed that around 75% of the campaign's targeted undecided voters do not believe Trump will be Biden's opponent in November. So, uh, you know, boy, we got a surprise for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're not going to like it, but I think some of your listeners still holding out hope for that for jail. Yeah, I guess I'm one of them. Oh, there's that. Talk. Yeah, there's that yeah. part of it. Jail. Yeah, jail thing would be cool. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, Biden's weaknesses exist in the present. He is old. He is the incumbent. People have frustrations that exist right now. Mm-hmm. Trump's weaknesses are more perspective, the danger he poses to democracy, the pro- the possibility he might be convicted of federal crimes, the damage his policies might do. Does Trump's emergence as the nominee change this dynamic? I mean, we all better hope so. I mean, Trump is his favorability in the 538 average is still 10 points underwater. And that's having been sort of off the stage for a while. Now, Biden's is worse. Biden is 15 points underwater, but he's been in the shit actually running the country. So the hope is that the return of Trump will wake up Democrats in particular, bring back folks who maybe drifted away for Biden for whatever policy reason. Maybe it's Gaza. Maybe it's something else. Uh, and and steady the ship. I know. I think Sarah Longwell, your co-host over there at the the Bulwark, thinks that we might be at the nadir of the Biden polling era. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, Timothy? yeah. She's um she's an optimist though. You know, okay. I bring a little bit more of the rain. Uh, to oh, the, we noticed to the discussion. Um, we'll, ma- we'll make it rain, Tim. But uh, well, 
I, to me, I think the most optimistic case is kind of like that maybe a low Biden approval rating isn't that it doesn't actually matter if the Trump approval rating continues to get lower, right? Like that, that would be my optimist case. I always compare it to the Macron Le Pen race in France. Like Macron's popularity was just well, as we, low as Biden's even worse. We, we, Tommy knows about this on po- he, he does does on his other highly rated podcast, Pod Save the World. Um, he discusses the Uruguay, the upcoming Uruguay elections. <laughs> um, but Macron. What the fuck is that all about? Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was, and, it was and, Ecuador and Guatemala, and, and, he lo- and he looks good doing it. Yeah, Make thanks. your point, Tim. He does. I love. I'm a world though. Um, anyway, Le, Le Pen and and Macron, I think, is the Biden model, right? Le, Macron is unpopular, but but they're like, we don't want the crazy person. Um, the problem that I have is, I worry about Trump um, seeming not as insane as we all know him to be. Um, I think that there's a big checkout factor right now. Another race between these two guys. A lot of uh, you know more casual voters are just, I think, for good reason, going to want to not fucking pay attention um, to the rerun. And and Trump, when you see him, while Tommy was suffering through Nikki and uh, DeSantis's low-rated debate, um, I'm I watched Trump on Fox, and like I know. You know, the listeners know that he is a total lunatic that has lost his mind and and has dictatorial aspirations. But like he can kind of, he's still a reality TV host, right? He can still kind of fake it. And if you're only half paying attention and you kind of think that he's that is the part that worries me the most. That I, I think that if the theory of the case for Biden rests on the fact that people change their views of the economy because the economy's getting better, fingers crossed, and that people come to terms with Trump's lunacy. I think those are rational things, but I don't know that that necessarily that everyone's going to have a rational reaction. Yeah, we're sort of counting. I do like, you know, like Tim, if I like whispered in your ear, um, you have mm. to be a Bernie bro for the next 45 minutes. Or you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life. And I pushed you out on stage. I think I think you'd be convincing. You know, I oh, think you well. could get it done. <laughs> but uh, but but I do think it's like millionaires and billionaires. And <laughs> fucking, it's like if you ever hung out with a rich guy, I could just channel all my rage against Bill Ackman into a <laughs> thirty-minute thing. And just, I'd listen to that. And, yeah. yeah, that's that's Tommy. Didn't know right you did there. voice work. The uh, but I, yeah, so it's like there's the parts that we can't control. One of which is, does Donald Trump understand, and can he maintain enough discipline to, to be normal enough? to lowers the way in which he is sort of unacceptable to the majority of Americans when they're paying attention. Um, I think the other part that's hard to know and hard to, to, to control for is are Biden's liabilities surmountable, right? Like we're, we're like, we go into, we go into this thing. We know that if we, if it's assuming it's Biden, Trump, these are two candidates that come to the table with new weaknesses. And we're betting on the fact that Biden's weaknesses are surmountable and Trump's aren't. And I do think like that is just an uncertainty, right? Our job is to make the Biden weaknesses surmountable. Our job is to make sure that Trump seeming less crazy and more energetic does not make Biden's age uh, uh, an insurmountable problem. And on the other hand, our job is to make sure that Trump's efforts to seem normal does not allow for voters the fact that he did an insurrection, overturned Roe v. Wade, would be far worse than he was in the first term. And in the first term, he caused incalculable damage to the country, that that does not fade enough for people to get over it and view them both as sort of unfit. 
And this will be my rant throughout the year, but since you're saying that it's your job, it kind of is, and I appreciate that, and it's my job, and it's our job, the Bulwark. But the people whose job is really going to be to to just get in the face of all those folks and make them know how unacceptable Trump is, is Mike Pence and Chris Christie and John Kelly and Jim Mattis, like all these people that have let us down before and fucking Bill Barr and his jowls, and like all these people that I like, like I, I, that there, I think they're going to play an absolutely crucial role here because you know you just can't like uh, i i think that in the same way that the primary campaign i said the, I said the tv ads were totally worthless i just think that there's going to be a cap on the ability of tv ads to get the job done and, and yeah. hopefully the buying people can break break through and and i do think that there are a lot of things people don't know about trump or that have, they've forgotten that that can be pushed through paid but but it's going to take people that can be surprising and can break through and and can like get you know they can shake the wall street journal reader from their torpor and be like you we really <laughs> like really if you're worried about the stock market like really a, a, an, an autocracy is not the way, way to go i think yeah one more optimistic point too is i think in the same way that you know so the normies they don't believe that uh, uh they you know, they're not on board with uh, donald trump really won the election um, but I also think sometimes we may undercount that, like, if you in a country that does not trust its institutions, institutions that have incredible amounts of trust are like the military, law enforcement, and that for people that aren't paying attention, the idea of a president being elected after being on trial and convicted, I do think maybe even more anathema to people than we're currently understanding, especially because like we are. We are people that pay attention. We believe that, but I think we've been so knocked around by the way in which Donald Trump defies gravity that maybe we're not seeing that like that actually is, and we see it in the polling, right? There are plenty of voters, including Republicans who say being convicted makes you unfit, being convicted makes you unacceptable. But I think we've been so kind of bullied by reality yeah. <laughs> that we're not, we're not, we're not sure we can trust it. Yeah, that number was surprisingly high at the Iowa entrance poll. That was like another silver lining. And that spoke to like the silver lining I gave about like the Nikki Haley voter seems to really not like this guy. And if 30% of them, like, even if it's not 30, like let's say that that's double the reality and it's 15%, right? Of people who, if Donald Trump is on trial and he's convicted or he looks to be convicted, they, they would not vote for him. I mean, that's a death knell, right? So I do think for Trump, um, I do think that that is... You know, maybe some optimism. I'll, you can, you can. I can see a little light in the cloud for you. Thanks. Love it, um, Tommy. Last night, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, said this in his town hall: If Donald Trump is the nominee, the election will revolve around all these legal issues, his trials, perhaps convictions if he goes to trial and, and loses there, uh, and about things like January sixth. Uh, we're going to lose if that's the decision that voters are making based on that. Uh, from his lips to God's ears, a lot of conversation about the legal jeopardy Trump is in and what a threat it poses to his uh, political uh, viability. Why is he spending so much time in court when he doesn't have to? It's so strange. It's he, really strange. He went to the jury selection yeah. for his second defamation trial, time he could be spending in New Hampshire. And nearly got thrown out, I believe. He was threatened with expulsion from the civil trial because he repeatedly ignored warnings to keep quiet. Uh, while E. Jean Carroll was testifying. I mean, I this he has one speed, right? This man just attacks 
everyone all the time. That includes political opponents. It includes uh, disabled journalists. It includes uh, Gold Star families. Remember the Kazir Khan fight? Yeah, playing the hits. And, and, yeah, playing the hits in 2016. <laughs> so I guess I'm not surprised he's in court. I don't think that makes it smart or savvy. Um, I, I don't know how what people will think of it. I mean, I think Trump also intuitively knows that it, we live in a misogynistic country where victims are often blamed and he's going to try to bludgeon her in the court of public opinion as part of a political strategy. So that's, I assume what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I do, I think part of this is pathological Trump and there's no sense kind of getting inside his brain. It's not a healthy place to be, but I, I, I think that as a strategy, I do think that he, and, and, and hopefully this is a mistake and hopefully for once Ron DeSantis is right. And uh, I, I do think he sees himself, despite the fact that he's the former president still as like, I'm an outsider against all of these pencil headed elites that you don't like. And so for him, some of the court thing is like his own animus against Gene Carroll or against the guy that are saying that he wasn't as rich as he was. But some of it, I do think, is this show that he's putting on. Like, I am the outsider. I'm the businessman. I'm taking on all these people that you hate. And so I think that is like the logical side of it for him. Um, and and that is obviously working in the Republican Party to tremendous yeah. effect. I think it's probably, un it's probably unlikely to work in the general election, but I'm not ready to be absolutely 100% sure about that. Yeah, I think it's I do. It's more feral than genius, but it also it is part of also making all these different cases a kind of like miasma of I'm under attack. Right. Um, a, a potential juror in the defamation case said they were a Ponce of America listener, Tim. Oh, really? Yeah. The mm -hmm. judge seemed not to have ever heard of it and wondered if she said, God save America. Um, we got to fix the fucking judiciary. We got to find this person. I got to tell you the uh, my favorite fact about the uh, was it the Gene Carroll with the previous Gene Carroll uh, jury was that there was a Tim Pool listener. Yeah. And so every time anybody all and any of the right wingers and the MAGA folks bring up that like, oh, these liberal juries in New York and D.C. and they're coming, you know, obviously like the deep states. Were gonna, it's like, no, a fucking Tim Pool listener. Listen to the evidence, and they came away with the view that Donald Trump was liable. I like that. Super right-wing uh, YouTuber, former kind of lefty guy, got famous covering Occupy Wall Street, went full horseshoe, uh, yeah. and now just wears his little beanie and does yeah. events and with that Vivek Ramaswamy. That's where the case of Vivek Ramaswamy got, and that's where this, this, this person. So, you know, have faith in your fellow Americans, you know? Uh, speaking of, last question, because I did not want you to... Uh, leave before you had a chance to address this. Um, Marco Rubio endorsed the morning of the Iowa caucus. Ted Cruz last night, Sean Hannity endorses Donald Trump. Couldn't wait any longer. What do you make of it? These people are such little fucking bitches. <laughs> I just hate <laughs> these people so much. They're so cowardly. And and I just, I had to tell you, it wouldn't have made me any happier. And you you could have had me on in April after the primary is over and after Marco endorsed him and I would have done the same rant about how he's, you know, a coward and a supplicant and, and how embarrassed he and his, his family should be of him. But like, it's especially embarrassing now. Right. Like we know that Marco Rubio would rather have Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis be president. We all know that. Like, the fact that none of these people had the cojones to actually try to challenge him is so maddening and is so enraging. And like gets to the point that I, I will never forgive any of them for it. And like that Nikki Haley, who I don't really like, as you could tell from this podcast, but would obviously be better than Donald Trump. The fact that her endorsers are just Chris Sununu and Larry Hogan two kind of Tim Miller, squishy, moderate, Northeastern Republic, that that's all she has. Like none of these other people have, have at least tried to try to beat Donald Trump. Like 
It just pisses me off. And, I, and, I, and it really, it really sucks. They Imagine suck. having been in the Capitol on January 6th, personally under siege, and then going out a couple of years later and endorsing the man who sent that riot to try to kill you. Yes. Good stuff. For not when you don't even have to yet. It's not even a binary choice. And Mike Lee's out there going, well, it's a binary choice. It's like, it's not a binary choice yet. You could, right. you could have been an Asa Hutchinson supporter up until two days ago. There was some reporting, I can't remember it was, that, I think it was Puck, that Trump's team is telling donors, like, you need to get on board now before this big event I have coming up in Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure there's a similar call going out from his political staff saying, you need to endorse before New Hampshire or else you will be on some you know, sort of shit list. Now, I'm not saying that's compelling. Right. I find that or pathetic. But I assume that's why these are all kind of rolling what? out Nobody's going to primary Marco Rubio. All these people, I'm not saying you're excuse-making for him, Tommy, but that is the excuse-making that people yeah. give. They're like, oh, like if I called Marco Rubio's consultant, I was like, why is he doing this? They're like, well, it's inevitable. He's got to. And I'm like, or what? Or what? Somebody's going to primary him? Matt Gates is going to primary him? Like, is that is that's what he's worried about? I mean, Marco Rubio's fine. He has six-year Senate terms. He gets to do whatever he wants. Also, um... God doesn't care if you faced a primary challenger, you know, at the very end, you know, That's a great point, John, I just, I just think, you know, God doesn't care at the pearly gates. No, doesn't care. Not a good reason, but God cares about ending this podcast. <laughs> <Good morning. laughs> Masterful pivot. Well, Tim, cause Tim's got to go. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Uh, we will be back. John and Dan will be back. I, and yeah, is there, they're going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna kill him? What do you what are you worried uh, about? You, John and Dan will John and Dan will be back with an episode in your feeds on Friday morning. Uh, we're, we're we're here now Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. That that classic rotation. People can't miss it. Three days. I mean, it's just so much good material. <laughs> this was great. We filled a fucking podcast, and we'll do we it again. We'll do it again week after week. Republicans may be cowards who give up, but not us. Thank you. That's right. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tim. If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. And if you're already doom scrolling, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save America on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Give us your own takes. Hey, give us a review. Give us your takes on our takes. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producer is Farah Safari. Writing support from Hallie Kiefer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGrote is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolls, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. 
You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.